The Special Apps Update Conference is back and it runs from March 25th to March 29th and it's completely free to sign up. The conference focuses on engaging in relevant technology. Six courses will highlight how to use apps to support literacy, speech and language skills, and of course, having fun. To learn from amazing presenters like Mo Booty, recent speaker at ATIA, Amanda Schombug, Panda Speech, and our very own Rachel Madel. Hey, that's you. That is me. Go to specialappsupdate.com to register and use the following code XEDSAU19 to get all the courses for free. See you there. Well, welcome everyone to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here back with Rachel Madel. Rachel, how's it going? It is going so well. I am, um, I'm really excited to be here and I am feeling very relaxed and rejuvenated. Really? Why? What, 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 what has made you feel so relaxed and rejuvenated? I went um, on an impromptu trip to Hawaii. So it was completely last minute and I just decided to go and I didn't have anybody with me. I went by myself. It was awesome. I'm just like so excited that I was able to take a, a trip and I just did everything that I loved doing. I was hiking, I was going to the beach and swimming in the ocean and the weather was beautiful. Well, first tell me what, uh, what made you want to go? I mean, what, uh, what prompted the trip? You know, honestly, I love to travel and I'm always down for a spontaneous adventure. And I have a, a lot of price alerts on flights and the flights were super cheap. And so I was just like, why not? Why not just go? Um, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to organize trips, especially I feel like when you become an adult and lots of um, adulting to be had, but I decided just to go solo and it was awesome. I just like had such a great time and um, we were talking before we, we started recording about how it didn't feel like I was alone. Um, I was just connecting with lots of my friends and doing video chats and things like that. So not once did I get, uh, did I get lonely. So I think it's an amazing thing that, that I remember once upon a time, like I went to Finland as an exchange student back in the day, right? And I, that was, email was just starting back then, right? And so for an entire year, I lived in a foreign country where I had very little connection with my friends back stateside, my family. I think I talked to my parents maybe three times, you know, and I was, I think I was 18 at the time. So, you know, you're still, and now today in 2019, you can go and you can have an adventure. And like you said, you went by yourself, but not really, right? I mean, there was, you, you, you could always be connected to other people. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of uh, Euro trips long time ago when you used to have to go to internet cafes and like you have to pay. I remember just paying so much money. It felt like at the time because I was like struggling and broke and staying at hostels, but I would pay so much money and then I would have a keyboard that I didn't know how to use. And there was all this time pressure to send these like emails where I was just emailing my parents. I'm alive. Like, I know you haven't heard from me in you know, two weeks, but like rest assured I'm alive in Italy. So it's just like, it's so funny how things have changed. Like now you go abroad and basically anywhere you go for the most part, you can have access to the internet. You have your phone, you have tablets, you have all these things that can keep you connected, uh, which is so interesting because I feel like it definitely wasn't like that when I was definitely traveling abroad in Europe years ago. Um, it's just so funny how things have changed with technology. Sure. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people think of it as a security measure, right? Like, okay, I have my phone with me so that if I get in trouble, I can call somebody. But what you're describing is even... Uh, a more level of connectedness because now though you were traveling physically by yourself, 
you could connect with your friends and kind of share where you were. I mean, I know we got some video, my wife and I got some video uh, messages from you where you're like, check out this uh, hike that I'm on right now, you know? And it was awesome. On, on one end, it felt like we were there, you know, living your experience vicariously through you where we were, you know, uh, working through snow days here and that kind of stuff. Or on the other side of it is you maybe never felt alone. Like you could always connect with someone else. Yeah, it was really interesting because I definitely like to balance when I'm on vacation. I like to balance being in the moment and totally disconnected. But when you're traveling alone, you also crave that connection at some level. So it was really nice. I would go sometimes hours and hours. I would turn my phone on airplane mode and I just had it for those emergencies. Um, and I completely disconnected. And I also completely disconnected from social media while I was gone because I feel like that's really important too. But it, and then, you know, I would come back on the grid and I was able to share these experiences with the people that I care about and my friends and my family. And so it didn't feel alone. And it's just so funny because it's never been so easy to stay connected when you're, you know, traveling or just in general. Um, but I do think it's important to balance disconnecting um, because I think that we're so hyper-connected sometimes um, that it just, we need some, some peace and quiet for our brain to just like settle down, to really enjoy the moment and enjoy where we're at. Um, so I definitely was balancing both those things. You know, I think that comes into play whether you're traveling or no matter what you're doing. You know, I know, for instance, like my wife and I have left dinner, right? And uh, we'll put our phones down and we'll just be there together and we'll be looking at each other and having our conversation. And then it gets to sometimes we're like, oh, wait a second, we want to share this moment. So we'll pick up our phone, uh, you know, make a quick video chat and send it to somebody or, 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 or do a quick uh, Facebook post. Doing that is still, it's a social thing that two people are doing together, connecting with somebody beyond uh, the moment. So it doesn't have to be just, um, it doesn't have to be just like large trips that you're disconnecting. It can be these short, like just going to dinner, but then still have that connecting. Yeah. You know what I've actually started doing? This was about six months ago. I started doing this. I, I started realizing I was trying to do way too many things at once. And specifically when I was watching television, so I would put on a show and I also would have my laptop and I would have my phone and I would have all of these other things. And I realized I had this like epiphany moment wow, like I'm really, it's really hard for me to just sit and do one thing. I found that it was really hard for me to just sit and watch a show. Um, and so I started practicing putting all of my technology um, in a separate room. And when I decided that I was going to watch a show, I would just watch a show. And it was uncomfortable in the beginning. And I really enjoyed, and now I crave um, kind of just practicing doing one thing at, at once. Um, I think that we're just so... <laughs> we're so connected to everything and we're used to that connection. And so it's, it's really sometimes a practice disconnecting um, and just trying to focus on one thing at a time. You know, I think what you're talking about there is multitasking and there's this sort of myth out there. And I think there's some research that supports this because I, I have definitely looked it up before when I've done other presentations is to, to talk about the kind of the myth that, you know, I'm a really good multitasker. You're not really good at multitasking. What you're good is, uh, is, is shifting from one thing to to another quickly. So, for instance, if you did have the, I do that exact same thing, right? I have my laptop up and I have my phone with me, and maybe a child is sitting next to me. And oh, and by the way, it's a TV show on, and I'm either watching the show, or I'm talking to the child, or I'm looking at my computer and working on that. And my attention is shifting from one to the other, but I'm not actually paying attention to all three at once. You know, I'm actually doing a poor job of of of, of 
of paying attention to what's going on in the story uh, on the TV show or, do, or doing a poor job of paying attention to whatever the child is saying uh, or what the conversation we're having, or I'm not really attending to the work of my laptop because I am interested in the show or I am interested in my child. So there is no doing well, I think. And, and I think there's, like I said, there's research that sort of supports that. So I like I love that strategy of putting it away so you're not even as tempted. And I think it's just important to be intentional, right? I think that we kind of just do things. And when you set an intention, it's really powerful. Um, speaking about task switching, I think that's the, the formal term. It's actually proven you're not as productive. Our brains do better when we're focusing on one thing for a prolonged period of time. Um, and so just thinking about my work day, I've actually started really scheduling out, okay, for this hour, I'm going to work on report writing. And then the next hour, I'm going to respond to all of my emails. You know, there's so many distractions that come up. And I think email is a really good example of that. If we are constantly responding to email, it means we're being detracted away from the other things that, you know, our brain is focusing on. And it's just really challenging. Um, and I see this a lot with kids, actually. I'm doing a talk for Exceptional Ed in two weeks um, for the Special Apps Update Conference. And it's a completely free online webinar. And my talk is on apps for emergent communicators. And part of the discussion is how can we use apps in a really intentional way? Obviously, we know all about screen time and all these things um, that are kind of like hot button topics. But there's definitely ways you can practice that intentionality. And I think that if you are the adult in charge of an iPad, it's really great because you can kind of teach kids how to regulate those impulses. Um, oftentimes, especially when we're starting with AAC, I just had a kiddo yesterday that I'm, you know, is in the forefront of my mind. You know, she's just impulsively hitting the screen. And I'm like, well, think about it. Every time this child has interacted with an iPad, she's been given the iPad and she can kind of do whatever she wants with it. Um, you know, and every time you hit a button, Button, something activates or you hear a cool sound. Um, and so it's really important to kind of have the adult be in charge of the iPad when you're playing games and things like that to help kids regulate those impulses. Because I think we're all pretty impulsive. Like I get like a little notification on my phone and I impulsively need to check it. Um, you know, I have notifications not on my phone for that specific reason, because I feel like it's like those impulses inside me, like who emailed me, who texted me? Like I need to know right now. Um, so I think it's just like being intentional about all of it and really understanding, you know, the relationship that you have with technology, I think is just really valuable. That is sort of like, you know, the, um, on your phone, you have a little feature that allows you to uh, block messages when you're driving. I sort of want that. I'm block messages when I'm or block messages when I'm doing anything else, you know, uh, I just want to put it away so that I, I don't have that impulse to, to, to immediately check it and immediately solve a problem that's popping up. It can wait. Absolutely. It can wait. Um, and it should wait in a lot of situations. And I think that it's something that we can, we can think about through lots of different activities in our lives. Um, but the biggest thing, like I said, is just being intentional about it and understanding. Um, I think that, you know, taking a step back from your technology and, you know, your daily life and all the things that are happening and just really thinking about like, okay, how am I spending my time? How am I focusing my energy and attention? Um, and how can I maybe do some small steps that can help me focus a little bit more? Yeah. And asking yourself, is this bringing me joy? You know, I know I got to do some of those video chats with you when you were there. I do know that you tried to go minimalist while you were there, right? I mean, it took just a few things. 
Oh my gosh. It was crazy. I have a, uh, I sent a picture to all of my family. I said, this is the only thing I'm taking. And it was just this small little carry on that I like, I could shove underneath the seat in front of me. And honestly, I've never had more responses on my Instagram than like when I tell people I'm taking, you know, a small bag to Hawaii for five days. Uh, everyone was like, how, what, what did you take? Um, but it was, it was really an interesting experiment. I only took what I absolutely thought I needed. And the crazy crazy thing is there's some things that I took that I didn't need. So it's like, I still probably could have taken less. Um, and I just, it was a really cool thing to try. And I've never, I mean, I tend to be pretty minimalist in general. Um, I don't like a lot of clutter. I don't like a lot of disarray. Um, and I don't like packing a lot because that means I have to carry a lot, but it's so, it was such an interesting challenge for me to only take what I thought I would absolutely need. And it was, it was so freeing. I loved it. And it was so funny because like all the people that I like, you know, met, um, my Airbnb host, she's like, that's all you brought. I'm like, that's all I brought. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah. So I went a little minimalist, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, really thinking, how can I streamline my life? Cause what don't I need? And, uh, it's a little bit harder when you have a family because there's other things that, uh, meaning, um, specifically because they are so they want to buy things you know what i mean they want to collect things you know they want to have a sense of ownership of these things and when you get to a certain age you're like no i want to push these i don't want these things anymore um and my wife and i i think you're at that point uh we collect dogs you know uh, uh but so living things but not uh not stuff you know and so when i tried to look minimalist I, I, there's a process that you go through like with your bag right is, is what in this bag well, do i need this uh, oh, but it, 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 and, and I can see therapists doing this with their, uh, that might be listening to us or they, they go to their room now and they've got all of this stuff on the shelves because as therapists do, you collect things and you think you might need it again. But if you go through, uh, librarians call it weeding. How do you get rid of the books you have that you don't use anymore? No, no one's checked this book out in five years. Let's weed it, right? I could see people doing that, weeding their therapy supplies, you know, going through and asking yourself, okay, does this thing bring me joy? Does this thing bring joy to others? Does, am I going to use this again? And have I used it in the last six months or a year? You know, and if the answer is no, take a picture of it if it means something. So you have it in you, yeah, a little documentation of it and then toss it. You don't need it. I completely agree. I love doing that with my therapy materials because there's so many things that I collect over time and you just kind of need to purge some of that stuff, um, you know, because it distracts you. It distracts you from the things that you actually use and love, um, you know, and also if we're talking about, you know, speech therapy in general, we know that especially if we're going into the home, um, we really need to be using materials in the home to increase that generalization piece. So, you know, from an early intervention perspective, um, kind of a bagless therapy approach, now, I don't get super extreme about that um, because I do think it's really great to have really motivating and novel things to pull out of a bag so that kids get excited. But I think that we could definitely incorporate some more, you know, routines-based intervention and things in a child's environment so that we can see that carryover piece. Absolutely. Now, so we whole conversation with the idea that uh, you went to Hawaii and you brought your network with you. You know, always had people that you could contact if you wanted to, if you chose to in the moment. And that is sort of what the interview is about today, is uh, interview you're about to hear is with four people who just kind of had a vision. We want to have a network. We feel like we're sort of out on, a, on an island by ourselves where we're working. And we want to connect. And so they share the story here in their interview. Of, it's called the 
Wisconsin Assistive Technology Regional Network. It's blossomed into these multiple meetings, and it's just a really fascinating uh, way of connecting that they came together to, to do that we keep you know, here in the interview, keep asking them to, or you'll hear in the interview that I, I keep this kind of hinting that our listeners, if they feel isolated, if they feel alone, there is no reason to feel that way in 2019. You can reach out and be, have sort of an extended family with people working in assistive technology or people working in AAC or working in any capacity you're working in now. Yeah, I'm really excited for this interview. And I think that sense of community is so important with what we do. Um, there's no worse feeling than feeling isolated. Um, and so when we can kind of create situations and organizations that bring together that sense of community, I think it's really important and valuable. Um, so before we head into the interview, I want to read one of our reviews. And I'm just so excited about it. Uh, this comes from Rachel. Um, I'm completely in love with your podcast. I'm an SLP and AAC specialist for our county board of development disabilities and we actually have a podcast club like a book club where the AAC specialists on our team get together once a month and have a discussion about one of your episodes it's led to great discussions that have caused us to sometimes validate and sometimes challenge our service model you always have interesting fresh content and your supporting materials are extremely helpful thank you for this incredible resource we are so grateful I mean how great is that someone to have as a, a talking with tech podcast club yeah, that is fantastic. And then I love how it's like stretching their thinking, right? I mean, and they're, they're having uh, sort of debates and discussions around it. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. So, thank you, Rachel, for writing us and letting us know. And thank you for doing that. Please, please, please give us some more insights on how that's all going. So if you guys haven't left us a review on iTunes, we absolutely love reading them. They make Chris and I so, so happy. Um, you know, we obviously got to our, we got, we surpassed our hundred reviews, um, but let's get to 200. I'm really excited to hear your guys' feedback and it helps inform the, the episodes that we have and the content that we share. So um, if you haven't, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. And also before we head into the interview, I totally forgot, Chris, we're having a live event. We're merging with speech science for a live event. Let's talk about it. Yeah, that's on Sunday, March 31st at 8 p.m. Eastern, where we are talking with Matt Hot, and we're going to talk all about the, I know, did, we, did we reveal what the secret, the top secret topic is? So we haven't revealed the topic, um, but it's really exciting and engaging, and I, I definitely know you guys aren't going to want to miss it. Um, so if you haven't already, join our Facebook group, because that's where we're going to release the topic. Um, like I said, it's a live event, so you guys can join and interact. We're going to be talking about a hot topic um, that's coming up, and it directly impacts AAC assessment and implementation. So join our Facebook group. It's Talking With Tech. You can just search it, and we're going to be revealing it really soon. So without further ado, here's our interview with the people who put together the Wisconsin Assistive Technology Regional Network. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? Well, hello, everybody. I'm Chris with Talking With Tech, and I am joined today with some people from Wisconsin. Uh, so this is four different people here. We have Mike Hippel, 
Jennifer Shubring, Kelsey Austin, and Sharon Redmond. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. What, what's your background? What, what's your, what do you do? My name is Mike Hipple. I am 24. I live in Appleton, Wisconsin. I have been using a communication device for 18 years. I am using an Axon 1400. I access it through a ASL battery mouse emulator system. When I'm not learning about EAC, teaching, or helping families, I like to do volunteer work through Kiwanis. I love sports baseball as my favorite go Brewers. Awesome, Mike. You know, it's like you anticipated the questions I was going to ask, because this is a podcast all about AAC, and you knew I was going to ask what system you were using. <laughs> That's great. All right, so Jennifer, what about Hi. you? Yeah, um, my name is Jennifer Schubring, and um, I work in the Green Bay Area Public School District right now um, as an assistive, assistive technology program support teacher. Um, so I basically head our AT program in the district, and we are a district of about 21,000 students. Um, I also have my own private practice that I started in the spring of this year, building AAC. And um, I got my AAC experience um, through school um, at UW-Madison as an undergrad, where I worked in the Communication Aids and Systems Clinic, um, and uh, which was the clinic that was associated with the Trace Center, which was one of the founding places of AAC way back. Um, and then from there, I had a graduate assistantship to go work with Dr. Janice Light at Penn State. And I helped complete research in the area of literacy, which ended up turning into the um, all curriculum that was um, that is published by uh, Mayor Johnson and Boardmaker. So um, that's kind of my AAC experience. Awesome, awesome. And Kelsey, what's your background? So I'm Kelsey Austin. I work in the Hudson School District in Hudson, Wisconsin, so right on the border between Wisconsin and Minnesota. I am a speech and language pathologist as well. I recently switched from a middle school setting to the elementary setting, mostly because I wanted more students who use AAC. So I have been learning as I go with my caseload, and I've been in the field for six years, and I've been going to a lot of professional developments surrounding AAC and just really found my passion as my caseload has brought me that type of student. That's awesome. awesome. Well, welcome to the field, but I guess six years, you're, you're, you're creeping into veteran status here, I think. Uh, Sharon, what about you? Hi, I'm Sharon Redmond, and I have background, my background's in special education. It's kind of where I started about 20 years ago in Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin, that's how I met everyone, but I'm currently living in Quilcene, Washington, which is on the Olympic Peninsula. Wait, what? I'm going to just stop for a second. I know that you're, can you hear me? Is it okay? My connection sounds like it's bad. No, you sound good. I just couldn't. You... Oh, I sound okay. So yeah, so I live in Quilcene, Washington, which is on the Olympic Peninsula. Um, moved here, kind of family move that's brought me out to Washington. But I was in uh, Washington before, so it kind of it kind of feels like a second home to me. But I started my career in Wisconsin, uh, just outside of Green Bay, and it got my master's then at St. Norbert College. And Wadi was um, 
really popular and really great in the state of Wisconsin and uh, had lots of programs that were popping up. And so St. Norbert had a master's of science in assistive technology. And so I went ahead and got my master's there and uh, just recently got my my ATP certification. And uh, currently I'm an independent private contractor for special education, assistive technology, behavioral AAC consulting. And I also just recently um, got hired as the assistive technology uh, specialist and special education teacher for an online learning school that's located here in Washington State. And I went ahead and stole all the AAC kiddos that everybody had and made them my own, on my own caseload, so that I could see how uh, and work with kids in this virtual environment. And I'm really excited to see where that can go. Fantastic. Well, that, such varied backgrounds, and, and and but yet we're all here to talk about the one one thing in particular that brought you all together, which is the Wisconsin Assistive Technology Regional Network, right? Watern is that how you say it? Watern, yeah. Watern, Watern. Okay. And so, tell me, how did that start? Where where did that idea come from? Before we talk about Watern, I want to talk about Wisconsin AAC Network. I started the network because families and professionals need to have a lot of support. When I started out many, many years ago, we didn't have the support. I had a device for four years before I met another AAC communicator. So I had an idea to start up the network. I had just finished a partnering policy class through Wisconsin Board for Persons with Developmental Disability, and they had one year Sparks grants, so applied for a grant to help us. I already made connection with Julie Gamlin from Wiesman Center. She liked the idea and agreed to help. We got the grant. We worked for a year on the areas that we felt important to the three of us. They are education, support, and awareness. As I talk more throughout the state, I finally found my Wisconsin AAC family. Jennifer, Sharon, and Kelsey became the Education School Committee. The idea of regional meetings came out from the Education School Committee. Jennifer, can you take it from here? Sure, Mike. So I'm sure a lot of people maybe are hearing our Wisconsin accent. So I just want to make sure everybody hears Mike's Wisconsin accent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so the idea of Water and really came out of um, the work that Sharon, Kelsey, Mike, and I all did. Um, and it started at the beginning of last school year. Uh, and um, it started actually just with Mike, Kelsey, and I. And um, it kind of was more of a professional learning community at that point. Um, we talked about conferences that we had gone to, what was going on in our local districts and communities. Um, and Mike had really had this idea of completing a survey, for forming it and completing it, sending it out. And so we worked a little bit on that. Um, and in February of um, 2018, Sharon joined our group. And um, at that meeting, which it was interesting, we were kind of preparing for our Talking With Tech podcast. We were looking back at our notes um, from that first meeting of the four of us. And we really had nailed down that idea of regional networks at that very first meeting. And it was fun for us to look back at that last week because, um, you know, reflecting on it, we've really met all of our goals and um, have really just, I mean, on far beyond it, I think, what any of us had hoped um, it would be. Um, so, uh, Watern is really only, the idea of it has only been around for a year, almost exactly. 
Um, and when we were talking in that February meeting, we all had agreed that um, assistive technology and AEC services had really declined in the state of Wisconsin after the defunding of WADI. And um, when we look back at the history of WADI, it was first started in um, 1993. And um, it was defunded at the end of the 2008-2009 school year. So it had been around for 15 years. If you look at their website, there's a lot of history that's on their website. And it was started in response to the AT requirements of IDEA. Um, well, the goal of, of WADI at that time was not only to, pro to provide training, but also some specific strategies to increase capacity in school districts to provide AT services. And um, the WADI manual, as we all know it, is, is what came out of all of that work. So they had created this WADI manual um, to help provide some leadership for the school districts. And um, I think you saw Wisconsin definitely as a leader in assistive technology at that time because of um, what that group had done. Um, and they had a sort of global effort in the state of Wisconsin in that there was um, WADI that provided statewide assistance, but then they also pulled in um, the CISAs around Wisconsin. Um, and there were 12 CISAs, and each CISA then had an assistive technology person within that CISA that really helped support those districts. Jennifer, what's a CISA? Oh, that's a good question. Sharon, do you know what CISA stands for? I've got the Wadi website up here. Oh, let's look at that because we, we, now you're challenging my old brain. <laughs> so CISA is um, Educational Service Areas, but the C stands for the Cooperative Educational Service Areas, CISA. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure that's it. And there's, there's 12 of them around the state of Wisconsin. Um, each one had at that time um, sort of an assistive technology person that helped support the districts within that CISA. Um, and so this was what I kind of refer to as the heyday of assistive technology in, in Wisconsin. And, and it was a great time. Um, I started my career in education at the very end of that. 2008-2009 um, school year and they had um, a statewide lending library so you could get high-tech, mid-tech, low-tech devices. They provided professional development. They even did like group buys of software and equipment. Um, they really provided a lot of support to our state so it was a huge loss um, when Wadi was defunded. And that, that sort of um, also then hit on the same time when politics in Wisconsin were changing. Um, and we saw this huge mass exit of highly qualified educators that, that were retiring because of um, Act 10 and um, the leadership in our government at that time. And it was a really tumultuous time because we were seeing attacks on public education in our state and decreases in resources and funding to public schools. And it was just sort of this perfect storm that created this huge loss of skills and assistive technology, which, you know, starting when that was just ending to now, I think that's what all of us that are here talking to you now have experienced and, and really why we wanted to create the Wisconsin Assistive Technology Regional Networks was to kind of help alleviate this loss of skills that was happening. Um, we also saw this loss of skills through WISTEC, which is um, our agency that ran the AT Act. 
And at the same time, um, with that change in government, we saw that they, that WISTEC was outsourced to outside agencies and really mismanaged. And, um, you know, uh, the question we kept coming back to when we were talking was, you know, why don't we even have access to these ATAC dollars? And why in the last 10 years has there really been no professional development, you know, nothing done within our state? Um, and I spent an evening looking through minutes, WISTEC minutes that were online and um, eventually ended up finding out that they had completed a survey in the 17-18 school year. And that survey um, said that, um, that people were really wanting more information about augmentative and alternative communication. But the group at that time sort of just wrote it off as, oh, well, that the majority of respondents were school professionals. And so they ended up sort of reallocating those funds to other priorities and not completing that um, that training that was really being asked for at the time. Um, so it, it, it just, it, it's been a bad, like 10 years since, since Wadi uh, went away. And, and I think those of us that are still doing assistive technology in the schools are seeing that through students coming into our districts that don't have right tools. Um, you know, interestingly enough, I think this all hit also while that tablet technology boom was coming. And so we're seeing a lot of that where we're just getting students coming in with devices that don't necessarily meet their needs or you have a district where you know oh hey we know Proloquo to go so everybody's going to get Proloquo to go um, and it's a cheap easy response rather than completing that full evaluation because quite honestly I don't know that a lot of school districts have anyone that's trained in that assessment process that Wadi originally set forth so you know, we're just trying to, I think, come together in a grassroots effort to combat all of that and help bring Wisconsin back to a state that really excels in the area of assistive technology. Yeah, I remember when Wadi uh, was defunded because it was such a leader in the country, you know, and so it was a huge blow, not just to your state, of course, obviously your state, but to, to the country as, as whole because of uh, the work that had been done there. And of course, so many people still use those resources and go back to them now. I mean, we use the wadi.org resources on a weekly basis. Well, and how, how great is it that that original group has really come together? And again, it, just like us in a grassroots effort to really um, on their own time update all of those forms and update the manual because you know none of them are getting paid to do that anymore um, since Wadi still has never been refunded. Um, through our state. And so it was, I think, a huge, huge success for our state when, I don't know, was it last year or two years ago when they released all of that, um, those updated forms. So, Well, Jennifer, I think that's a great point to bring up because a lot of people probably don't know that, you know, oh, well, it must be refunded because it's there it is again, you know, and these people no. must be getting paid something, but it's all just people working for free because they have a passion for it, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think what I'd like everybody to know that's listening to the podcast is, you know, even you, Chris, you you never knew who Jennifer Schubring was before, you know, meeting me at ATIA and nobody knows Sharon Redmond or Mike Hipple or Kelsey. Um, you know, we're really four nobodies that 
um, sort of came out of the woodwork in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and we, I think, have re-energized assistive technology in our state. And we've done so with no funding. Um, we've initially had no state-level support. It was just our will and our desire to improve services for students. And I think if we can do that, I think anybody can replicate the path that we've taken in the last year. Yes, that's an inspiring little message for people to say, like, if we can do it, you can do it too in your neck of the woods. You don't have to live in squalor. You know, you can make things better. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you don't have to have a PhD to do it. You know, you this is really um, a professional learning network, and, and we rely on everybody to... Um, you know, bring their skill set to our regional network meetings. So um, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to have the desire and the will to improve things. So Jennifer said the four of you came together. How did you meet each other? How, how, how did that all come about? Um, we, I all sort of met Mike separately. Um, and we were kind of talking about that too when we were we were talking, kind of preparing for the podcast, and um, just trying to remember. I met Mike through um, at closing the gap, um, but prior to that, um, Kelly Foner, who you've had on the podcast, um, I had been to a training of hers, and she had said to me, you know, oh, you've really got to meet this man, Mike Hipple. He's up in your area. Um, Appleton is only about thirty minutes away from Green Bay. And then at Closing the Gap, I actually made that connection with Mike and, you know, the rest is sort of history. Yeah, I same. this is Sharon Redmond, and I met Mike through a conference um, across the Lifespan Conference that was held in, um, actually, when I returned stateside, I had been teaching overseas for quite a few years and have returned back in 2006 and then met uh, Mike at this conference. We were both presenting, and we just hit it off, and he said, hey, I got a group for you, and I'm like, that's great. I really was looking for a group especially uh, when I moved back to the state of Wisconsin and uh, found that, you know, the networking that I was wanting to have, um, that I had when I left, when Wadi was in its heyday, um, just was non-existent. So it was, for me, it was like uh, Mike became a lifeline, you know, to, um, to meet people and to have the, my community back of assistive technology. It was really exciting. So I really appreciate that about Mike bringing us together. And I met Mike actually through an email, my super, um, or my, not my superintendent, my, the special ed director of my district got an email from Mike and he was looking for members of the Wisconsin AAC network before uh, I knew what the school committee was, and so I, I wanted to join to also connect and and get to know other people in the state that are doing the same thing. So I joined that, and then that's how I got on the school committee. So now that you're all together and you came together, what's sort of the mission or the focus of the network? What are what are your goals, objectives? What are you, what, what's your vision? Well, so I'm going to talk about that. This is Sharon, and you know really it it really just it came out of that desire and that need and you know i was i consider myself um a wadi baby i you know was in was in wisconsin right when it started back in 1993 and uh was part of that whole excitement and trainings and things um and that was just it was so powerful and it, it sparked just a passion in me for assistive technology and 
especially AAC. And when we left Wisconsin in 2001, and I didn't return back until 2016. And in that time, I mean, I was such a, I was always proud to say, you know, oh, I'm an assistive technology specialist. I was trained in Wisconsin. And everybody's like, woo, that's awesome. And I'm like, yes, I'm a Wadi baby. And it's awesome. This is great. And someday maybe I'll grow up, but not really sure when that will be. Not but, today, Sharon. Not today. Not today. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of story of my life. So um, so when I returned back to Wisconsin in 2016 and, you know, I was really having a hard time as an educator trying to find resources. And it was so, it was so strange to me to be in not strange to be in Wisconsin, but strange to be in Wisconsin in the teaching, in the educational system, and not have any access, not have access to other, to resources. Well, I did, but that's only because my specific school district, you know, was part of a lending library and we paid money to do that. Um, And thank goodness that we did that and we had access to that. But I didn't have access like I did back in the Wadi days. So for us, it's really, um, you know, I, I can read it to you, but it's really to bring an AAC awareness and bring regional groups together. And our meetings are there to support, um, share knowledge, discuss best practices, raise awareness around current issues that are really specifically um, focusing, especially right now, based on our school-based AT and AAC professionals. But we didn't want to just leave out, we didn't want to leave everybody out, anybody that had an interest. So if you you didn't have to be an AT or an AAC professional in order to be part of Watern, you can have just an interest. You can have a speck of knowledge and you just want to increase that and uh, you're welcome to come into our group. So, you know, we had this vision that we really wanted to foster this grassroots effort, you know, and to be able to fill that gap that we all felt when Wadi was defunded. And we wanted to bring Wisconsin really back to a place where assistive technology and AAC professionals, you know, are created, you know, that we create more, maybe we'll have water and babies instead of Wadi babies, you know, where we're created, where they're supported, you know, to provide high quality AT and AAC services to all the students. The goals that we wrote down a year ago when we started this whole process, we've really, we've achieved. We wanted to have um, at least hold three meetings. We've held four. We wanted to have um, at least four uh, regional sites. I think we're up to close to eight. So we really are able to foster that. And, you know, one last thing, I think our last meeting, we had a new group in La Crosse, Wisconsin that started meeting. And at that meeting, there were um, two, and, and they may not like this term, but um, Wadi mommies, I called them, that were the original part of Wadi. And they really said that that Modern has given them this opportunity to get excited about assistive technology again and AAC. That once they were just, once Wadi was defended, they just kind of stopped. And when they heard that Watern was happening and this grassroots effort to kind of bring Wisconsin back and have that ability to to meet and to team, they got excited and where their passion was ignited again. And I thought that was really, that was really powerful. To me, that like, that's it. 
that is what we wanted to do and encompass. Another thing that I wanted to add um, that Sharon didn't bring up is that we really wanted this to be a group for everybody, um, not just SLPs, not just um, individuals that, you know, are maybe the AT specialists in their district, um, but we wanted paraprofessionals and we wanted OTs and PTs, uh, educators. We really wanted it to be multidisciplinary so that we get all viewpoints at the meetings and um, what's been interesting too within sort of the leaders that are leading this group is that we do all come from different backgrounds. Um, so it's not just me as an SLP or Kelsey as an SLP, but Sharon's got an education perspective as a teacher. Um, we have Anna that is an OT. Uh, Sarah, our leader in lacrosse, she's an occupational therapist, and she's actually teaming with um, an ex Wadi person, and they're helping, they're kind of co-doing the lacrosse section, lacrosse area, which is really exciting. We've even had special ed directors have attended some of our meetings, um, regional support people have attended meetings, so it's it's kind of all hands on deck. Everybody's everybody's coming in and getting. Yeah, excited. we've had we've had a couple yeah. clinical professors attend um, the meeting that Mike right. and I lead, um, and and you know Mike's voice in the network or the water networks, and and even his mom who um, provides a lot of parent. Um, perspective. So I think that, you know, it's really all encompassing of a lot of people and we get a lot of perspectives um, at the meetings. Awesome. So let me make sure I have this straight. So if I'm getting the story straight, um, once upon a time, assistive technology was, was rocking the house in Wisconsin. It was defunded. So everyone sort of independently saw a need, but Mike independently had conversations with each of you which started the, the regional network. Um, and then you have started to have meetings and you, you have created a vision and it's been in this inclusive place where anyone can come with multidisciplinary people participating. And then you've been meeting and, and doing stuff. What are, what are kind of the, first of all, do I have that right? And then second, what are your, what, what kind of actions have you taken? What are you doing during those meetings? Chris, I have to say your ability to synthesize information into very <laughs> succinct <laughs> sentences is well done. Well done. I think you might have a background in that. <laughs> yeah, I've got to practice a little bit. <laughs> yes, I would say that's right. So part of creating the regional meetings was trying to come up with a structure for how they were going to look. Basically, the structure of our meetings right now looks like a facilitator, so one of us four or um, the other facilitators that are part of Wadern starts the meeting and essentially leads it at first, um, and we have a common message that we send out, so it's been different each meeting. The last meeting, um, we were really talking about assistive technology in the IEP and um, how you write that in different things like that. So each common message has been a little bit different. So we have, we share that at each meeting, no matter what region you're in. And so everyone has kind of similar bones. And then we kind of go from there. We have the hope of having the facilitator start the meeting and start the discussion and then really just letting the group take over for what they need. And we're finding after each meeting, when we recap together, that it's really interesting to hear that each region, you know, has a little bit different needs, some similarities, but different needs. Um, and so kind of letting them take over to discuss what we 
they really see as important. And then the other piece of the meetings is bringing in, we've been bringing in different vendors with the focus of helping everyone gain knowledge about what's out there so that people aren't just using one type of AAC. So that's been really valuable to have different companies come in. We've had Toby Dynavox as one example come in and then they talk about their product and then they also talk about how they can support us. And that's been really valuable to me, I guess, is the support that different vendors share each meeting. And then the other big focus we try and leave a lot of time for in the meeting is just collaboration. It's been really awesome to see different school districts get together in one region. There's not a lot of meetings like that out there that I've been to, um, besides what uh, Jennifer and Sharon were talking about, the CISAs, that happens there. But that's been really beneficial for all the different areas, all the different professionals to get together and discuss different topics that and students and problem solve and really just connect and you know, after those connections are made, we've had really nice uh, email chains get started and people shooting out questions and things like that. So it's really trying to build that network of people in the same area. So that's kind of the basic structure. Does anyone else, did I miss anything? No, I think you, yeah, explained it really nicely. I think one of the, one of the, some of the feedback that we've gotten from um, some of the facilitators has been that it's nice to have that structure so that they can just be a facilitator. Um, we have a PowerPoint that we all together create um, and bring information in, and then um, that allows them to then uh, go ahead and present that. And what it does is I think um, it feels like it takes the stress off of everybody. Um, like no one wants to be that person that has to be in charge of creating that meeting. So because we do it all with the, within our school committee, we create that structure for people. So really they can focus on being the facilitator of that, of those um, water meetings. And that, um, that kind of uh, structure in, in how we've set that up, that's, we've gotten great feedback from that. The other thing that I wanted to um, say is in um, having a vendor come in, um, that was a huge takeaway from that summer meeting and what people um, really needed. And, um, you know, those of us that get to go to the big conferences get to see a lot of that um, assistive technology, play around with it, mm -hmm. um, use it. And, you know, without having that Wadi lending library anymore, unless you're in a bigger district that can afford to purchase a lot of that equipment, you aren't going to have exposure to that. And technology changes so fast that um, it's hard to keep up with it all. So when I'm emailing some of the vendors asking if they would be interested, some of the things that I'm asking for are, um, will you bring in your products? Because we want to give people that are attending the regional meetings hands-on time with the, the their products. And it's not all AAC. Um, we're having AbleNet come in for our spring meeting and um, really um, shift focuses to more switches and access. And they also have, you know, some communication devices as well. Um, but it's not always AAC. Um, and then what does the loan process look like? So even AbleNet has a loan process where you can get um, different kits sent to you to try and evaluate. Um, what is Toby Dynavox's loan process like? Um, a lot of, we found a lot of people didn't even realize that um, Toby Dynavox offered um, copies of like Snap Plus Core to um, SLPs in particular, but if you email your rep and you're an educator, you can also 
also get a copy of some of that as well. Um, so just providing some of those resources um, from the vendor. And then the huge thing, like Kelsey had mentioned, was that um, what does that evaluation process look like? How do I complete a speech generating device evaluation? What supports do you have for writing that report? Um, so it seems like all the co companies now have a lot of report writing assistance. Um, Toby Dynavox has one, PRC has one. Um, so that's been really helpful and we've gotten good feedback that people just didn't know how to get their hand on devices to initially trial and then how do they complete that evaluation process. And so coming from the vendor, um, it's nice that they can share those resources. Yeah, so we had to start somewhere and I'm, I'm really excited for our end of the year meeting, um, our, our leadership meeting, and to really kind of pull the information that we're gathering from everyone. Because we pull everyone after, our, after every water and from every region to really kind of make sure that we're hitting the pulse of what educators and uh, people in the K-12 system are really looking for. And so that will really determine then what we will make next year look like and kind of look at what our goals for next year will be um, as far as creating uh, more water and meetings um, and more regional areas for people and looking at what are we gonna, what are we going to share? What is, what is it that people really need? And so it's, it's a, this, this, process of making sure that we have a really clear understanding of what the educators in Wisconsin are looking for and that we can then address that and and be be um what's the word I'm looking for responsive oh, I hate that when I can't find that word Jennifer yeah there you go wow Chris well done be responsive to the needs of the people in Wisconsin well, so that brings me to my, to my next question, Sharon, is that I, I picture people, you know, running on the treadmill or listening as, as they're, you know, driving around, whatever they're doing, they're listening to this podcast, not going, Chris, why did you invite these people on? I don't live in Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, I can't go. It seems like you're just rubbing it in my face that there's this awesome thing that I can't do right now. My thought, my response to that person might be, who might be listening and thinking about that would be like, well, move to Wisconsin. <laughs> no, my, my real response is, no, you could do this too, right? I mean, if you're in Maine and you wish you had something like this, then you can start this in Maine, right? If you're in New Mexico and you're listening, do it in New Mexico. Even if it's not state-oriented, it can be in your regional area. Start with one meeting. So let me ask that. What were for some of the first steps you took? If someone was wanting to create something that, that mimicked this, what were some of the first steps that you took to make this a, a, a viable thing that people are doing? So um, we started by just meeting online and you know there's a lot of great free meeting tools. Zoom offers 40 minute meetings. You can do Google Hangouts um, and so it's really neat that you can have um, these face-to-face -face meetings even though you're not necessarily in the same region and so that's kind of how we all got connected um, and we really just started out with what did we think the need was. We identified those areas of need um, like I said, we looked back at those original notes from February of last year, and it's exactly what we've developed. Um, and then we started trying to figure out how are we going to spread the word? Um, that was sort of the big thing. We, we knew we could put a PowerPoint presentation together. Um, we knew that we could um, find spaces to hold these free meetings. So um, 
Kelsey holds hers at a local library. Um, Anna in the Madison area actually holds hers at the police department. There's like a community room at the police station. Um, Mike and I utilize our um, local CISAs who've been very supportive. In Stevens Point, I think they're using, um, uh, and in La Crosse, they're using the school districts um, that those leaders work in have meeting rooms. So, you know, you find a space, you put a PowerPoint together, and um, make it happen. We use social media. That first meeting, we didn't even give a lot of notice. I think we had less than a month notice. We made a flyer about what the meeting was. We put our mission and vision on there. Um, we, we didn't have a vendor come in that first meeting because we just kind of wanted to find out what other people needed um, and start with that conversation. started really small. Our first meetings, Green Bay, I think, had the largest meeting, but we had people that drove from almost two hours away um, because they were really wanting the support. Um, and we started out with eight people at that first summer meeting. All we had done was um, post on social media. So Mike posted on the Wisconsin AEC network page. There is a Wisconsin Speech and Hearing Association Facebook page. We posted on there. We posted on the AAC for the SLP. Uh, Mike was really good about sharing that post in multiple places and multiple groups. So just with a few weeks notice, we got a few people to show up at those meetings. For the fall meeting, we organized it a little bit differently, um, where we um, actually had some support from the state level at that point. So Mike is really great about emailing people, and he was able to um, email some various state DPI, Department of Public Construction um, people, and his email got passed down to our new speech and language consultant for um, the Department of Public Construction, Andrea. And um, Andrea really made a huge impact on our group from a state level. Um, she has access to all the speech and language emailing lists. And so she shared out our meeting flyers with that group. It, our fall meeting, we also um, did all those social media posts as well. Um, and then what's been really exciting recently is that Andrea has also connected us with um, the new leader of WISTEC. And so now um, we are going to have that state level support um, and hopefully be able to capitalize on some of um, that ATAC dollars. And so we're, we're really hoping to bring in some bigger names in AAC or assistive technology to present and, and thinking about, you know, could we do this on a grander scale maybe once a year? Um, with maybe a, a conference or just uh, uh, bringing in a speaker virtually. So we'll see where those conversations take us. But um, as excitement has um, grown for water and we've really had some doors open up to us, but it really started really small. I am on our state council of special education through DPI. At the meetings, I gave up and met people that work DPI. Andrea Bertroni joined the school committee. Mm. So Mike is on um, some state level um, DPI um, meetings. And so he's created a lot of contacts that way. Um, he even has a lot of, um, I think, isn't there, Mike, a um, state representative that you're good friends with? And he's, he's just a very well-connected person in the state of Wisconsin and I think in the AAC community. Yeah, I think that it really, you know, we have all these 
like the nitty gritty of exactly what we do and we could we could put that into a an outline but really what it what happens is that we're not alone we're not the only ones that were sitting in wisconsin in our classrooms and in our you know speech and language sessions saying gosh i wish i had a way to connect with someone and what we're finding is that that it wasn't just the four of us doing that, that there are hundreds of people in Wisconsin in the K-12 education system that are looking for the same thing that we're looking for. And that's why we're finding success. And I think that Watern is really finally filling that need that has been missing since 2008. So let's say I wanted to get involved. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be a, a part of it. What do I do? How, how do I learn more? People can get involved with Watern by coming to regional meetings and sharing what they know. We are excited about our new website, WisconsinAACnetwork.org. Gotcha. So even if you don't live in Wisconsin, you could come and visit and be part of the part of a meeting, right? I mean, you don't have to. I mean, there's probably people in Wisconsin, right? But if you wanted to go learn more, go to the website and you could mimic what you're doing there. If you wanted to make something in your own neck of the woods. Yeah, Absolutely. I think you could. I think you could contact any one of us, and we can help um, give you the materials that we've developed and the structure that's worked for us. Um, but it's a constantly evolving process. Um, as our meetings in Green Bay have um, grown, um, we've had over 35 educators now um, that have attended our meetings, and. Um, I struggle with um, everybody having a voice when the group gets that large. And so, um, you know, trying, I'm constantly thinking about ways that I can make that um, network meeting go better because some of the feedback I got um, from this last meeting was next time I want to come to the meeting and I want to speak up and share my voice. And it was because you have a lot of um, AT experts, you know, that are in these larger school districts that are commenting. And so I want to make sure that everybody has a voice, even those that uh, don't have as much experience. And so, you know, exploring some of those back channel chats that maybe can happen and um, constantly, you know, as a group, um, Kelsey, Mike, Sharon, and I looking at um, what's going on in the meetings, how can we make them better? Um, I, I just think it's a constantly evolving process and, and um, you know, we're never going to stick with just one structure. It's, it's going to be what's needed in the moment. And um, but the feedback that we're getting. And I don't drive from Washington to Wisconsin, you know, for the meetings, so, or fly. So, you know, Zoom or any type of uh, a way that I can connect online, we've been using. So the teleconferencing has actually been working really well. And we're excited to do a little bit more of that. That sounds awesome. So let me ask kind of a final wrap up question here is, all of you are passionate about assistive technology and AAC. What's driving your learning right now? What do you want to learn more about? What are you curious about? What are you kind of questing after? I have I want to learn more about PECS, the first steps that families take and communication from home team and community team to school team. Mike, do you mind if I probe into that a little bit more? Because I'm curious, being an accent user, that you what you're curious more about pecs can you can you explain why or talk a little bit about why you're why you want to learn more about pecs i haven't learned about that and it is so important that's really interesting yeah because there seems to be this um divide if you will between pecs and core vocabulary now i don't think they're what they're, they needs to be but in some people's minds there seems to be and 
if you're using an accent, you're unless it's highly customized, I don't see your system. So you're using core vocabulary. And so I think it's just such a great comment that you made because yeah, let's learn about these other systems and these, these other thoughts. And then um, like Jennifer, you said, bringing the multidisciplinary support, let's, let's look at everybody's perspective and see, and see what that means to all of us. I think that's what I really get from Mike, and I am fortunate that I get to present with him um, and do so much with him. Um, but we also do something called the AAC Chat Club, um, which is also a part of the Wisconsin AAC Network and um, another branch of it. So we have the school committee, and then there's like a parent committee, um, and through that is um, the chat club. And seeing Mike interact with other device users um, is really interesting and fascinating for my SLP brain um, because he doesn't discriminate against anybody and he truly um, sees the potential in anybody that comes to those meetings and we get a diverse group of AEC users that attend with a variety of systems and um, I think Mike's common goal is is to um, be a mentor for many of those that comes because just like he said in the beginning you know he never saw anybody use AEC in the beginning um, and so I think for Mike the the and I'm speaking for him but I think he he would agree that he really sees the potential in anybody regardless of the system. Do you have more to say, Mike? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good lesson for, the, for all of us. It's like, really, let's listen to everyone's perspective. I could take that lesson and, uh, and, and, and maybe put it as a mantra that I say to myself every day. So, uh, what about everyone else? What, uh, what, uh, what else are you, are you curious about or questing after want to learn more about? My focus has really shifted this year, and I feel like um, my technical skills in AAC specifically um, are pretty high. I've, I've been at this for a while, and I, you know, but despite having all of those technical skills, I really struggle getting follow through with the teachers that I'm supporting. And so um, in our district, um, we've really focused on um, this shift in um, looking at transformational school culture. Um, and um, the CISA actually, CISA 7, which is our local CISA, brought in Dr. Anthony Muhammad to talk. And um, it was just phenomenal listening, listening to him um, and his ideas on um, will and skill in educators and um, looking at having a positive school culture. Um, and we have various types of um, people that we can categorize in our schools. We have believers, we have tweeners, um, we have those that are just, you know, burned out. And then we have these um, individuals that really um, don't want any change to happen. And so they sabotage everybody's efforts um, because they, they don't want things to change. They think everything is fine. Um, and so a lot of um, these ideas and the idea of um, beliefs and how that factors into getting people to buy into AAC, which is um, something that I talked about at ATIA, um, has really been empowering for me. Um, and I've really started to look at where I've 
had successes and what has the reason why I've had those successes and why I haven't had those same experiences with other educators. And it really comes down to me embedding myself in their team and building those relationships um, that coaching offers and um, really helping to facilitate a change um, in their belief system so that we can increase buy-in. So that's been my personal learning goal this year. Awesome. What about you, Kelsey? I think focusing on this year, what I really have found, I've dug for, for more information and ideas, and I've gone to your podcast just trying to get ideas. You know, I have a general idea, and I'm already trying to be in the classroom as much as possible and getting students in the classroom as much as possible and sharing their AAC systems and communicating and having other students know how to use their systems, but I just am always seeking more of how to just have that be more seamless and give everyone a voice in the regular education classroom and not just coming to the speech room and using their device. I really want to continue and I know that's an effort that many people are doing right now and so I'm just always looking for new ideas there. Awesome. Awesome. And Sharon? Well, you know, I've spent a lot of my career in rural communities and even when I was overseas in small schools. And what I have found throughout my last 20 years is that we're really underserving our rural schools and rural communities, basically because of lack of talent and uh, knowledge within those communities. And, and I just see a connection that can be made with the teleconferencing, teleteaching, tele-AAC, tele-whatever you want to call it. I feel that that is just a real need that can be met with the current technologies that we have. And so, and what I'm doing right now with the school that I'm working with is going online and working with mom and working with the kiddo and, and modeling, 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 modeling AAC and helping them. And I feel like I'm, I'm having such a, a, a more of an impact because I'm getting buy-in and, and they have access, you know, to someone who has skills in teaching kids how to communicate using the language of AAC. So I'm really excited about exploring more of what that can be. Awesome. That's so awesome. I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, we live in 2019. We can have conversations via video chat like this and record them and put them out for the world. And as I was listening to your whole story about um, water and came about, I was thinking there's probably people that might be listening to this going, you know what they put together? They put together a Facebook group, but they actually meet face to face, you know, as opposed to, it's like they're thinking, thinking about how, how really it's going back to saying we're going we're gonna to come together face to face to talk about these things, but face to face can still be remote like this in, in today's face day. to face. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> or we are remote, right yeah. I mean, it's, it's the only way that I'm able to, you know, interact with the water right now because I'm in a rural, rural part of Washington state and which is beautiful. And it's, and I'm so thankful to be here, but I miss my water family and I miss my Wisconsin family. And so this teleconferencing and AAC allows me to do that. And it allows me to reach out and really to, um, do what I do best, and that's educating students that need AAC and assistive technology in order to access their curriculum. 
I couldn't feel, I couldn't say it better, Sharon. That's exactly it. I mean, we get to record this podcast because of this technology and we get to share it out with the world beyond. So thank you all for your time today. Thank you for all the work you're doing out there in Wisconsin. Thank you for inspiring other people to do uh, the same sort of work that you are doing is recognize that, that, that if you're doing it, they can do it too. Uh, and, and thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. So thanks everybody. This is Chris Bougay from Talking With Tech. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.